Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. This is enough of Welcome to the Mouth of Manliness with me, uh, your normal host and gobshite Nick Noyes and uh, I've got a wonderful guest today, Mr. Dan Lissac. Um, hello. Hello, hello. Now, we've kind of known of each other for many years, I think. Yeah, centuries. Centuries. Yeah. Maybe. See, I remember, <laughs> um, like, I'm certain you used to go to like Stuart's club nights and things. Yeah, yeah, when I, I like, used to go to the Bullseye when I was, like, 14 or something. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I've been going, known Stu a long time. Yeah. Long. I've known him since I was 11. Unlucky. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, his name comes up a lot at the moment, um, because I've got, there's been a lot of kind of cross-pollination, but, um, yeah, so Stuart Whiffin does off the beaten track, used to do loads of club nights and we used to go to them. I used to go because it was free and I got a lift. And then <laughs> we used to go because you could get in young. <laughs> yeah. But that was Essex though. You could get in young anywhere. If you wanted to bowl over at Tots afterwards, you could get in there. You could get in pretty much anywhere. I used yeah. to get in everywhere. Pizzazz in Grays was a bit harder. Because security, I think security knew my brothers. So they, they spotted me more often than not. But then Pizzazz, I don't know, it was a bit trendy, wasn't it? A bit too trendy for me. It was a bit kind of mainstream, wasn't it? Um, yeah. Look, like women dressing up, men wearing smart clothes. Like it was a, uh, you had to wear shirt, trousers and shoes to get in. So you didn't have yeah. wearing school trousers and that. I remember buying a uh, pink Ben Sherman on cheap in the Tesco's uh, at Pitsy. Bange, that you know the big Tesco, the first big Tesco's in the world, really. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I'd have that. That was the only shirt I owned to try again. The pizzazz. Oh, I think me and uh, Stuart and some others used to go over to Quarryall School, drink a bottle of White Lightning, mm. and go into pizzazz. Um, and then what would happen? Gradually, all my friends would uh, they'd get older girls. I was always scared of girls, so I would invariably just get... I'd be scared of pizzazz girls, to be fair. Well, I think most of the girls that they'd end up copping hold of were, um, like, 
Kelsey were like pretty alternative anyway and went to like Palmer's and that. Yeah. But, but yeah, I was always scared of girls, period, really. I never had a lot of luck in that way. I was always scared of girls. They're rubbish. I mean, <laughs> girls are not rubbish, but I was rubbish. <laughs> yeah. No, girls are rubbish too. We're all rubbish. All oh, of we're us. all rubbish. Yeah, yeah, very true. So, where are you, Dan? Uh, Reading. Oh, do you live in Reading? I do, mate. I've been here like 20 years or something. How did I you what... in Reading? Uh, came up here for uni. I was going to go up north for uni, but uh, my mum had a stroke that summer, or just before that summer, and like last minute, just took a place at Reading College of Art and Design um, to do photography. And yeah, so, but then I ended up here. I moved back to Essex for like nine months to move back to Hornchurch. Um, and it was shit. I lived with this lad called Richard and he was a dickhead. He was lovely. I knew him like, like for years and he was a nice dude. And then just living with him, it was like, oh, yeah. He'd like hide his pan. He didn't like it if he used his pan. Don't use my pan. You know, uh, like, yeah. that's weird. So, yeah, then moved back here and just got stuck here. Now I can't even, uh, yeah, I'm trapped in this fucking flat now. <laughs> falling around, falling down around me. It's good. I like it. It's got a smell to it. I think <laughs> last time I saw you, was it Reading? Reading Festival, I think. Yeah, that's I'm pretty sure lightly. I don't live far from the Reading Festival site now, like just behind the main stage. Oh, I've been going pretty much every year since I was a teenager. Like, I still go, and me and my mate Champion go and get really, really drunk all weekend. <laughs> um, and normally sit in the disabled section because we're old and we need to sit down. Yeah, that's the way. That's where I'd gravitate to anywhere, anywhere with seating. Like <laughs> yeah, me too. Totally. Obviously, you did um, art and design at Reading, photography. Photography, uh, yeah, that's my degree. University, it's a red brick. Well, I went, so Reading College is actually uh, Thames Valley University, right. not Reading, but uni. It's all very confusing because we were a whole separate thing for a while when I first went there and then, then we were rolled into TVU. But yeah, my degree still says... Reading College, Reading School and College of Art and Design. Yeah. But yeah, I don't use my degree very much. Yeah, I, I when I left in um, college, I went to Kent Institute of Art and Design, did uh, fine art for a year. Kayad. Yep. And then I fucked it off and joined Honeylust and then Lilo with Stuart and <laughs> did about... Seven years of that, really, whilst working as a chef. Um, and then I was like, oh, no, what am I going to do with my life? Because I found myself pushing trolleys in Costco. I thought, fuck, I've got to do something else. And then I got, um, started working for probation and then got a degree there. Yeah. So I kind of got it in the end. So when did you become successful with music, though? Where does that fit in? Was that after your that's degree? Loads, that's loads later, yeah. Like... So finished uni at what, like 21, 22, and then ended up working in HMV for seven years, pretty much. I think maybe I get really confused. But yeah, I was in HMV for years, ended up like managing HMV stains 
Stains on 10. Um, Yeah, ended up there. Quit that. I managed to get this job, a good job, in London as a graphic designer for um, Ernst & Young. They're like one of the, you know, uh, like they're an accountant, but they do like McDonald's accounts. I was doing graphic design for them and it was like shit work, but it was paid well. I was in that London. And then, um, yeah, instead of taking like a full-time job there for the rest of my life and actually earning money, I went and did a gig in Watford with Pip for like 50 quid (laughs) instead and quit my job. And uh, yeah, so that would have been, I would have been, uh, hang on, this is fucking 18. Yeah. I would have been about 28, I think. 28? By that point. Yeah. I'm 41 now. So I think it was 2006. We did our first ever thing together in like late December of 2006 was the first time we ever performed on a stage together. Yeah. And then we were in the pop charts in the April after that. It was fun. It was all right. So it was thou shalt not, thou shalt always kill. Yeah, Pip had to be awkward, didn't he? Just call it thou shalt not kill. Everyone, that's it's what everyone calls it. He? he is, he's very <laughs> awkward. That's my experience with Pip, awkward. Difficult. Difficult. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so um, and then so then that must have then that sounds like that kind of blew up quite quickly. And then I remember seeing you on like the sofa on MTV two with um fucking Zane Lowe. Zane Lowe, yeah. Just go, oh, you fucking lucky bastards. Well done. So. That was yeah. weird. That yeah, because we got we got kind of picked up quite quickly by those sort of people like Zane Lowe and all that. Yeah. And I think, like, our music wasn't that good, but Pip's personality was quite good. So when we met someone like Zane Lowe, yeah. Pip, had, Pip had the charisma to make Zane Lowe kind of want to, yeah, yeah, I'll play it again. They, they seem nice, you know? Yeah. And, like, you cannot underestimate how much of um, our career that 10 years and probably Pip's career now comes out of him just being a nice affable chap that people like being around you know yeah that's what that was that's my take on it really yeah uh, yeah people just seem to like him um and that helps Mm. whereas uh sometimes whereas you're quiet aren't you am i i'm a what you seem quieter Am I, I am kind of quieter, but it's like, because when I'm in my element, I'm quite rambunctious, but I, uh, I don't know. I always just feel like I'm going to make a tit of myself. I always have, you know? But like, when I, when I was at Palmer's and all that growing up, like the bullseye days, people would like, oh, look, he's crazy, Dan. I'm like, what does that even mean? Like, shut up, leave me alone. But it's because... As soon as I got into like some sort of rhythm, yeah. I was quite fucking gregarious and um, boisterous and stuff. But you know, like I, don't know, I also was quietly judging everyone as well. I think for a long time, just quietly sitting there going, 
yeah, it's not worth my time, guys. This conversation. Let's move on. <laughs> sort of shit. I was a snob. That's fine. But like, you know, that like, it seems like uh, we do that. We almost play roles uh, in life to kind of get you by sometimes. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it took me like five years of being on the road and shit with Pip to force my way in to the conversation in a way. That's what it felt like. But like, it was so much uh imagined shit in that like um you know if someone talks over you and you think they did it deliberately but they didn't they're just excited you know there was a lot i this is the only regret i have about touring and all that is that i wasted a lot of time imagining shit that wasn't there you know but i'd always done that that's been like a trait of my life since i was a kid so you know, and it's taken it me till now to be able to kind of manage that. Although, if my girlfriend mentions Jeff Goldblum, I'm right. She's going to cheat on me with Jeff Goldblum. I know it. I know it in my heart. That's true. That's not imagined. She's going to bang Jeff Goldblum. Would you be fine? You, I think I could accept that. I'd be oh, like, all right, look, as a one-off, bang oh, Jeff Goldblum. Like, that means I've got one in the bank just in case. Just with Jeff Goldblum, any chance. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. and uh, maybe you could introduce him to me and I could bang him or he could bang me. <laughs> he's a handsome dude, man. He's a handsome dude. He's charismatic. He's very charismatic. He would have worked in Serious Problem. He would have been like a good bassist in Serious Problem. <laughs> Just being a little bit wacky in the background, but uh, not taking up too much. I had, uh, before Christmas, we had Neil, the uh, bass player from Serious Problem, on, on here. Hmm. Uh, for people who don't know, um, we used, well, I, I played for a while in a band called Serious Problem, and like locally we were pretty um, loud, so people knew who we were a bit. Popular. Yeah, a bit bonkers. Uh, it's definitely like a little group, like yourself, Serious Problem, Honey Lust. Um, there was just a few. Um, there was another. Who were, who were the ones who always played? Who were the Scar band who played the Towngate all the time? Were they called like the Escalators or something? There was like the Rejects or something like that. It wasn't that, was it? Yeah. We didn't used to really knock around with them, but Stuart would quite often put them on if we played. Yeah. But yeah, there was a, quite a nice tight little group in those days. It's weird because since I've been talking about mental health, um, and a lot, and on like this kind of public forum, a lot of people are like, didn't believe for a minute that I was like fucking really fucked up at that point. Yeah. Like, people really can't see it. Uh, and I've had a lot of people kind of feeling guilty about it. I'm like, well, you don't need to feel guilty. But um, it's strange when, like, at that time in my life, we, we were like, right, we're going to get signed. This is massive. We've got. To, you know, we love all this and life is great. But yeah, I was miserable as shit, really. Yeah. Really badly. So you said that you've kind of struggled with mental health for years. Mm. When did you first start to kind of... Really oh, like, probably, probably in my teens. Like, I won't go, go too, too into detail, but I was abused. And um, I didn't really understand that until I was 18, 19. But even though I couldn't 
like remember it properly. My, uh, I was obviously reacting to it throughout my teens. So I was very, um, very sullen. I was very difficult to be around. And then as soon as I discovered sex, I would literally fuck anything. And not, I don't mean that in like a boisterous, we're fuck loads of birds way. I mean, super unhealthy activities for years. And it was, it was when I was like 18 or 19 where I was down in, like somehow ended up in a, in a bloke's house in Tunbridge Wells, like off my tits in, on pills and like doing whatever. And then when I woke up the next day, I just remembered like, Oh, Whoa, Whoa, what the fuck? And yeah. But then instead of uh, 18, 19 going, Oh shit, I was abused. Let me go talk to someone. I went, Oh shit, I was abused. Let me go stick my dick in everything I possibly can for the next 10 years, you know? And, uh, but that was my way of like suppressing it, you know, like trying to deal with, um, I was sad and fucking made me happy in the same way that food makes other people happy or booze makes people happy. For me, it was banging. And yeah, but it meant that I ended up cheating on people. And so I was making it worse instead of it just being this free thing because I, I needed someone to be with someone to be close to. Yeah. I then fucked that up. So then you're just piling more and more on. And it wasn't until, uh, the Dan and Pip days kind of calmed me down a lot. Cause I was getting all that fun and buzz from like being on the radio and all that. So that filled me up. So I was faithful. I was good at that point for that whole time. And then when that ended was when I was like, do you know what? I really need to fucking sort this shit out. So it wasn't until my thirties that I even started talking about it properly. I'd talked about it to friends, but I'd never talked about it to a counselor or whatever. Yeah. Never properly. Yeah. Work, start working on it. Mm. It's funny. Uh, well, not funny, but, um, yeah, I found it hilarious. <laughs> yeah. No, but it's been a, I've, I've talked to quite a few people who have been, uh, um, well, especially through work, you know, subject to abuse. And yeah, I can imagine, like, it, it, it's uh, a huge. When you find people who are being antisocial, as such, air quotes, yeah. nine times out of ten, it comes from some sort of childhood, whether that be sexual trauma, but that can just be like violence in the home or whatever. And it teaches you to be a certain way, you know? Yeah. Uh, but sorry, carry on. No, that's right. You kind of, you uh, create things to protect yourself. Um, and what I've noticed as well is that some people who have been subject to sexual abuse, they then go on and almost prove that they're not a victim. They mm. go out and then have a lot of sex, um, often, you know, in a horrible way to prove that they're not being a victim anymore and that they've kind of turned it around. Yeah, that, that you're in control of it rather yeah. than... Yeah. But actually, it, invariably, like you were saying, it becomes kind of self-destructive. You end up then almost 
willing yourself into situations that will, you know, cheat on people and such that will prove that you're no good. Yeah. The weird thing about it was, like, so when I was, before I'd kind of realised that it was, that's what had happened. I knew it had happened, but, you know what I mean? It was like a disconnect in my brain. Yeah, it was, yeah, there was two jigsaw pieces come together. But before I'd really understood what it was, I, I would sleep with anyone, men or women. And the strange thing was that as I learned to understand it, yeah. I stopped going anywhere near men, and not in an avoidance way, but the, because I'd been abused by a man, and then I understood it, I kind of, in my brain using my own like crappy psychology was like, well, Oh, that's why I'm doing that. I understand. So if I don't do that, then I'll be well. Yeah. But all that did was meant that I was just having to ruin more women's lives. <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, normally that coming down to like that kind of underlying feeling that you're not good enough and you're not worthy. Hmm. Like, most things seem to come back to that. I mean, for me, it totally does. I mean, I, I, I'm so much better now, but like that's, everything always comes back to the, I'm a piece of shit, I'm not worthy. But, um, so, you, then you sought help when you were f around 30? Yeah, so, obviously, Dan and Pip had finished. And uh, I'd been with a girl called Rebecca for seven years, who I'd actually been faithful to. I still feel proud of that to this day. Okay. I'm in my, uh, of all the relationships I've had, I'm in my second one where I've been faithful now. It was pretty impressive. You yeah, know? that's cool. I'm cool. feeling proud of myself. Well, yeah, you should. <laughs> but yeah, I'd been with Rebecca for uh, seven years and I was getting ill. I was getting really, really ill. Toward, obviously, the pressure of Dan and Pip coming to an end, like that was a year away. And then obviously... I wasn't, I wasn't well yet, and she wanted to like move on with life, like buy a house and have children and all that. And I just fucking bottled it, proper bottled it, and uh, ended up moving in this shithole and sort of wrapping up Dan and Pip. And then I was like, here, just in this flat on my own. See how it's all blue now? Yeah. Behind me, it used to. I used to have curtains that were like horrible, dirty red curtains. So in this room, it was just always dark. Yeah. And I was just in here all the time playing games. And um, <clears throat> I had started doing some uh, counseling towards the end of Dan and Pip, but I wasn't really taking it very seriously. It was just a thing to do. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I suddenly realized it's like, oh, fuck, I've not really other than talking to Andrew on the phone, I haven't talked talk to anyone for weeks. You know, I, I've not been out of the house that my partner lives in America, so we don't see each other very often. I was just like, oh, okay, why am I doing this? And then went and actually started engaging with counseling in an honest way, you know, like being blunt about, okay, I did X, Y, and Z and I feel bad about that. And this person did X, Y, and Z, and I feel bad about that. I know, I know. <laughs> That's a fucking killer, isn't it? It's like someone did something bad and you feel bad. Yeah, yeah. Everything I've done wrong is my fault, and everything that's been done wrong to me is 
my fault. It's like, no, it's not. But you can't, uh, like, it's like the opposite of magical thinking. Like, you, you just, you know how, like, with magical thinking, if you, like, will it enough, something good will happen. It's, yeah. it's the opposite. It's like, oh, no, everything bad in the world is, is my fault. Sorry. Yeah. That thing. Yeah, and I you, used to do that. I did exactly the same. You know, like, I'm parents split up. Oh, it's my fault. Like, you know, if yeah. it's my fault. And it's my fault because I'm really shit and I don't deserve to be alive. Mm. And, all that. and you take it down that road, don't you? But so you had cancer and they went, that's not your fault. Basically, yeah. Like, it was, um, it was weird at first. It was weird at first because you kind of, you spent a lot of time, like, counseling takes a lot of time to build up a bit of trust between yeah. you and the counselor. And I've been through a few different counselors. I've realized that I don't, I can't take advice well from men, like, from, from dudes in that environment. Don't know why. Maybe maybe I trust women a little easier than I do men, but once I've found a counselor, it still takes a bit of time to like, you know, get to it, get to the actual rhythm between you two as people. Yeah. But um, and then, yeah, it was wasn't so much about giving advice. It was more about just asking questions, you know. And she was very good at highlighting, like, why what you just said was wrong, you know, without ever telling you you're wrong. And I think that's one of the tricks of a, a good counsellor, um, is that they get you to make the decision, get you to come to the realisation. It's not about telling you, right, this is because your limbic system is doing X, Y, and Z, and the chemicals in your brain are why, you know. it's They, they go... So why, yes, and why, why do you think that? And, yeah. oh, oh, a lot of, like, good counsellors are just making the noise, oh. Yeah, just why, why, how, why, what? Yeah. <laughs> With work, uh, they taught me the five WH, which mm. when you're in any kind of conversation, you're like, who's, what's, why's, where's, when's, mm. and, and that's all that really matters. Mm. And it, it does, it is true. It, did you find it amazing when you finally found like a decent counsellor you could really kind of talk to? Because I certainly did. It was good. Yeah, yeah. I did it for about four years yeah. um, until, because I was getting it through a charity. Because the NHS is obviously a little uh, underfunded when it comes to mental health. Mm. And um, so I'd, through the NHS, I'd had a course of CBD, which CBT, yep. not CBD, CBT, which was uh, uh, a bit... It's a bit patronising at points. I just think, like, it, if you've got, like, quite just general... If you're just generally sad, yeah, like, without any major thing behind that, you're just having a hard time. It's pretty decent. It's about that kind of... Um, uh, reteaching yourself to... to maybe break patterns, negative patterns. Yeah. But if you've got some larger trauma behind it, it's very easy to feel, like you say, patronised. And it's very easy to, like, think round it. Like, um... You've been doing it all your life, haven't you? Like, when I hate CBT, I'm like, I know all this shit. 
Like, yeah. I don't think like, I haven't thought about this. That's the thing with CBT as well, is you have to choose to do it. You yeah. have to choose to engage with with uh, whatever technique they want you to do, whether it be making lists or, yeah. or whatever. You know, uh, I did that, and then I'd had, like, six sessions with uh, a therapist, and then that was it. That was all the NHS could give, you know? Like, because I wasn't clinical as such, it was like, yeah, you're going to have to find a private counsellor. And I was lucky enough to find one for a charity here. There's one, uh, a charity in Reading called Number Five Young People, and they basically do free counselling for people under 25 and then subsidised for people over. So if you're over 25, you basically pay what you want, um, and then that obviously helps them to fund the under 25s plus donations, all that stuff. So, yeah, it was um, helpful. But she went back into private practice and went out of my price range, sadly. Oh, no. But obviously she wasn't, she has to, you know, she has to make money. Yeah, I think also, I mean, I was talking about this the other day, is that you kind of have to know that an end's coming because otherwise, like, you can become quite reliant on it. You know, it's like, right, I'll hang on until Tuesday because that's when I have therapy. Like, I have therapy, I have psychotherapy every Monday. And uh, for a long time, it was like, right, I'll hang on. Like, I can keep going until Monday, and that helps. Mm. I've kind of pushed through now. Now I'm like, well, I don't really need it. But um, I've had loads of different therapists for years. Some of them have been fucking awful. Mm-hmm. Like, just talking to you like you're an idiot and you're a teenager and you need to sort it out. Yeah. Um, uh, but then the ones that are good are like, they're life-saving. Mm. It's just a big part of it is just having that non-judgmental space to uh, uh, express how you feel. I know like when people on the internet, oh, safe spaces, but it is a safe space. You can express the shit that you've said and done in your life without them judging, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, it's really, I fucking hate the internet. (laughs) Like, there's so much bullshit. There's so much, like, people, people acting like men should be 90s, 50s fucking blokes going out to work and just earning a living and not having emotion. And, um, you think that's an old thing. That's what half of YouTube is. There's so many of these like men's rights activist YouTubers trying to rebuild that women's places in the kitchen type shit that I feel bad for the the coming generations because they're being told the same shit we were, but we were being told it by like our dads and no one listens to your dad. They're being told it by like, slick looking dudes on YouTube, you know, who are their, their kin, their mutual, you know what I mean? They're like the same as them yeah. in, in a sense. So it's pretty frustrating, but hopefully, hopefully people will, will see through that bullshit. I think you tend to get different types. Like a lot of the kids in that I work with, and they're pretty much like that. Mm. Um, there is this kind of culture where women are quite, uh, 
quite demeaned, especially in gang culture. Women are really kind of, they're seen as, you know, you fuck them and then you fuck them off or you swap yeah. them around. And, um, and women are getting massively exploited and it's kind of like, you know, like it's just frustrating. It's just, you think, fucking then we moved on from that. And, and all the time that's going on, there's still going to be that perception of men should be strong. You know, and like the one thing that I'm kind of bucking against is that that perception. But yeah, you're right. That I mean, it is rife, and in many ways, I wonder if it ever really went away. I think it probably has always been there. Um, you know, like I, whenever we talk about a doctor or something like that, my mum will always go, um, "So, what's he like?" I notice like little things like that. Yeah. Uh, like if it's a professional or a doctor, it's got to be a man. And I'm like, Mum, you were a professional, you know. Like I, I never say what's he. I always say no. Um, but maybe that's just because like, I care enough to kind of watch what I say. But, but I think, but I think it's, I think that we're at this time where progress is really easy to see. Like we can see that we've moved on. We can see like, well, we've got gay marriage now. We've got, we've got all these things that wouldn't like 20 years ago. We're like, what the fuck? That's crazy idea. You know, you wouldn't have expected from like how far we've moved in my lifetime to that's insane. It's awesome. But every step forward, there is always going to be these people trying to pull it, back to where they they are you know so i don't, I don't know i suppose it's because it's it suits people like, i've had this discussion with my mum about her saying that um in some ways the older way of doing things gave everyone a place so men went and earned money uh and women looked after the house everyone knew where they stood mm. now it's blurred so much that people are like well who am i But a 20-year-old now has only lived in the blur, so chances are they don't see it. They they look at at the world as, all right, that's that type of person, that's that. Okay, I know where I am. Go. And it's it's us, not not particularly us, but it's the older generations who feel like they're being left behind. Yeah, yeah. Are the ones that are trying to pull it back, and that's how you don't want to move too quickly. Yeah, that's brilliant. So you do need some people pulling you back, but at the same time, yeah, that's what I was trying to say. Like, like if you talk about like trans rights or something, like progress has to be done in a measured way, yeah, because you don't want to. These are huge life-changing decisions people are making, but you don't want to slow it down so much that someone has to live fucking twenty years yeah. of dysphoria without ever being able to like live the person they are you know i think it's so true and you're right if things move quickly um people then are inclined to respond in a quite a strong manner because they haven't really been able to get their heads around it which might account for some of those fucking assholes saying we should be going back to you know women in the home and all of that and yeah. I, it. I don't understand why people are always thinking go back like Brexit. I did, didn't understand why <laughs> why we want to go back. Like I don't get that. Surely that's not what life's about. 
So about moving forwards. A lot of it, though, is about blame, isn't it? It's about like we we both grew up in Essex, in like not the worst bits of Essex, but not like these aren't places we would be saying, yeah, you should fucking definitely definitely live in Basildon, (laughs) and you'd fucking love it in Basildon, you know. Like they're not like aspirational places. No. Uh, um, I lost my thread there. I just started thinking about Basildon. <laughs> it's fucking it's weird. Aspirational place, Basildon, is it? But, there is a lot of aspiration that goes on by the camp. But if you if you grow up in a town that's not really progressing that much, mm. or or you're fucking not, you're working in McDonald's. You can either we're left with this thing where we're put in this position where we either have to say, well, I'm working in McDonald's cause I'm shit and it's my fault. Yeah. Or I'm working in McDonald's cause, um, that Muslim lad took my job, my job yeah. as a doctor or whatever. And it's like, the problem with that is we, we, we have to blame someone, but none of us are brought up given the sort of knowledge that the, dude you really need to blame is Ronald McDonald or whoever owns McDonald's or Jeff Bezos or the people who fundamentally this system of this pyramid scheme we're in puts us in the position where we're in shit. It's not our fault that the only job out there is a bin man or whatever. It's the system that we've built around money. I, I, I absolutely, completely agree with you. It's mm. my feeling. It's like when people get the hunt with the government and all of that, I'm like, no, it's because we all buy into this theory of capitalism. Mm. And like, that pushes us where we are. And they're like, don't blame the government. It's like, well, no, we should be blaming the banks or whatever. And it's like, oh, no, we can't really blame them because we don't really know who they are. Yeah. And that's the thing. It's that thing of uh, we can't blame air quotes capitalism because in a in a weird way it doesn't exist we can't point at it yeah. we can't grab it no. we can't slap it and call it racist names we can't like throw homophobic slurs at it but we can do that to people oh look at him look at him you know oh, oh look those two dudes kissing that's it it's their fault that's the downfall yeah, of society two guys having more fun than you are yeah, exactly. And I'm like, why do you care? Why do you care? You care because you're fucking bored. <laughs> and they're not bored. You stop being bored and do something. And it's- the thing about that is we look to blame more people. Then you get the, like, Tommy Robinsons of this yeah. world who who are very clever at learning how to make money out of it, you yeah. know? Like, if if you ever listened to someone like Tommy Robinson, you would think that, like... Muslim people are like a clear and present danger. They're going to take over the world any minute now. Yeah. But there's 2 billion of them. They could take it over whenever they liked, if they wanted. They clearly don't want to, because <laughs> like, they would have done it by now. Yeah, like, exactly. it- what have we got that's so fucking good? I yeah. just don't care. You know what? what uh, <coughs> this kind of makes me reflect on, though, is what, what we were talking about earlier. Um, you know, like uh, looking for to blame, mm. um, and you kind of go through this a lot of therapy where you get to a point when you're not blaming, you're just accepting. 
uh, you'll accept things like that's how they are. I can't do anything about that because that was in the past. Mm. And it's like I feel like everyone could do with a bit of that because now I'm very accepting of everything and anyone, and I'm nothing much bothers me, and yeah. I don't blame myself for everything. So yeah, and I think what you say is that if everyone's blaming themselves rather than just thinking, well, here's the situation, we could do something else. Let's not, um, rather than blame themselves, they'll blame some other poor bastards. Yeah. Uh, and then it just gets this kind of right, kind of feeling of anger. And uh, like, it's horrible hanging on to anger like that. Feels horrible. Mm. And just think, you know, just look at yourself because quite often you can change things. The only thing you can change is you, you can change yourself and you can potentially change your situation yeah if you put your efforts into it it's the thing is like especially with blokes um because we're not we don't our generation i hope is the last generation that really has to deal with this so much but we we have been told we've never been taught any emotional intelligence no no that's exactly like, and to really understand it. And I think that, like, the reason why I think I can be quite sensitive is because I've been through some shit. So I, I've had to learn and understand, like, my what my emotions are doing at any given time and, like, what my triggers are. Like, when when my brother used to get fucking... My brother's colleague has been drinking for, like, 25 years. Strong cider, shit's blood regularly, mm. you know. He's, he's, that's the guy, that's part of his personality, shit in blood. Um, but, it's fucking white strong side of that. Uh, but, like, when he used to get angry in the pub, he didn't know why. So that would end up in fights. Like, he, he had part of his ear bitten off outside the all-sick cock. You know, he's, he's had a life. But, like, I think if you taught a bit of emotional intelligence, that you, you might be able to go... In your brain, I'm angry because I'm jealous, or I'm angry because I feel like he's disrespecting me in some way. But he's he's just being aggressive because he's trying to protect himself from me as such. And you, you yeah, can, yeah. You know what I mean? You can yeah, yeah, totally. think through the situation, but we're not encouraged to do that. We're encouraged to act and be like, "You what, mate? You looking at my fucking birds?" Like. If someone's looking at your bird, you have the choice to be angry about it or proud. <laughs> like, I pulled a hottie and I'm fat. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I think there is that. It is that, um, uh, like, men are allowed to either feel angry um, or... Well, that's about it, isn't it? That's it. That's all we got. Yeah, you know, we're allowed to feel angry, but you're not allowed to feel, like, upset or any of those other things. And what you said there is exactly right. It's that you go, hold on, I feel angry now. Why do I feel angry? Ah, it's because I'm I'm jealous, or they're making me yeah. feel that way. And and then, like, is that real? Do I really need to worry about it? You know, like you were saying right at the beginning about, uh, is that real? You know, you're, you're thinking one thing, and it might not necessarily be the real thing. It's just what your brain's kind mm -hmm. of worked it out. And that's kind of the thought process I go through now. I feel like that. Should I feel like that? Sometimes I really shouldn't, and I'm just being a fucking idiot. Yeah. That happens. Yeah, I think we, we're 
very good at finding the negative in things. I think that's part, that might be partially like an instinctual thing as well. Like when we have an instinct to when the weather's bad, to get the crops in sort of thing. We've got a, we've got so, a, so, yeah, I've got a therapist who was telling me that that's your basic caveman brain. is like, it yeah. looks for negatives to keep you alive. Exactly. But we've evolved so much we don't need it. I started writing a poem in my head about that yesterday when I was driving around Essex. <laughs> saying like, yeah, your brain does that. He calls it like the monkey and it's going, oh, don't do that because something bad's going to happen. And like, basically, you can talk yourself out of absolutely everything. Well, that's the thing as well. Like, we have to, we think of ourselves as this modern thing that's completely separate to everything else on this planet. But, like, when we look at a dog and we see, like, human thing in him, look, he's shrugging. I'm sure he's shrugging. Because yeah. we all come from the same genetic yeah. fucking sludge billion, millions of years ago or whatever. You know, and in our brain, we, they, some people call it the lizard brain. Yeah. Like there's this bit of this core set of instincts from when we were animals and that's still happening in there. Like, um, I think, uh, it's the limbic system. It's the, I, I, I don't, any science people don't. I know, think. bits and bobs. But like, so if you ever have an argument with a woman and you think the argument's over and it restarts, like if she brings it back up and she pulls some like past thing, like from 10 years ago, what about that time you didn't close the fridge sort of thing? That's because her limbic system, her bit of lizard brain, it, it takes slightly longer to rebalance the chemicals. Um, so her brain feels angry, but there's no conscious reason why. See the brain's like, well, I must be angry for a reason. And it just plucks this memory out and goes, this is why I'm angry. And then that's just a chemical process in the brain. She's not angry. You've settled it. You've worked out that you shouldn't shit on her lap in the cinema. (laughs) Whatever you did. You know, you've got to learn these lessons. You only shit on a girl's lap once. Um, But like, yeah. Once that's settled, if if it comes up again, it's actually just an instinctual process for her to bring that back up. That's quite interesting, isn't it? Because that does make sense. This is, you know, like you were saying about, like, in therapy, uh, you didn't necessarily want someone to explain it to you. Like, you're doing that because. Um, but, like, my, like, so about two years ago, I started having psychotherapy, and then, and I was also having hypnotherapy with a bit of mixed-media-type therapy in it. Um, mm. And, um, it's mixed media therapy, Netflix. No, I know. I said mixed media, and I'm like, fucking, what did I say that for? Uh, mixed modal. Anyway, so in there, and that was when it, like, Peter just he explained why how your brain works, and I'm like, fuck. Mm. Right, I got it now. I got it, and I really did. I was like, oh, I can, I can take that away with me. My brain. He's, he's just trying to protect me and I don't have to listen to it. I can do like that. I could take that away and I could give that a go. And that, that's basically what's really sorting me out. That just that kind of understanding that, um, it's just doing what it does. Like understanding just how your, your brain is, has been trained to react to things for centuries, thousands, millennia. 
like does definitely help in your day to day life. That you remember white men can't jump. Yeah. When uh, uh, Woody Harrelson's girlfriend's saying she's thirsty and he's she's angry at him because he's trying to give her a glass of water because he's trying to fix it. That's that caveman. I'm yeah. going to start a fire, kill a woolly mammoth brain. And her brain's like, no, I just want you to like share my pain. <laughs> I just want you to like know that I'm thirsty and like have empathy for me. I can, I'm a woman. I'm a grown ass adult. I can go turn the tap on myself, you know, and it's understanding that the way I wait. I remember like I, I, I seeing a film or something one day and realizing that that's the case and that mm. women just basically process things slightly differently. Uh, and my relationship with my wife improved no end after that. Mm. It's like, well, that's well, the thing. We, we think of ourselves as this homogenous species, but we're not like men and women are different. And, um, teenagers are different to us. Yeah. Like you can argue that what a child is and, an adolescent and a huge, like an adult aren't the same species. So it's like an evolution going on there. That, that adolescence is like you're, you're the caterpillar as a baby. You yeah. go into that adolescent cocoon of fucking all those hormones to come out as the beautiful butterfly of adulthood or whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah all the problems. Although you all end up like Atlas moths anyway. Do you know Atlas moths? No. They're like massive moths, like real big, like as big as your head. They look, look like their faces. But um, they fucking evolved not to have a mouth. Really? <laughs> so they can't eat. They literally live for like three days or some shit. Like every time they flap their wings, they're bringing themselves closer to death. You know, so their only job is to find a mate, bang, and die. <laughs> Such a fucked up. Like, they evolved to do that. You'd think they'd evolve in a different way to not have to do that. Yeah, but like I think because it's that thing with evolution. It might have they might have evolu- evolved badly, but it's still working for them. They're still and essentially. <clears throat> it's it's just as much. It, they're shortcutting. They've just chopped out all the shit. In yeah, the yeah. they don't have to do mortgages or anything. Yeah. you know, but, council tax. Atlas moths never paid council tax. We've gone straight for it. Basically, we've got one purpose is to yeah. have children, and they've done it. They just, I just flew around, dumped its load. Oh, fuck, that was good. I'm done. See you later. I passed all the shit. <laughs> I really have. So what are you up to now then, Dan? So you, we didn't mention your podcast, Falling Forwards. I do. I have that podcast. That podcast's more about my mental health than anything else. It's, it's actually about like creativity, just try to talk to as many different creative types. Like the last one was um, a game developer called Edmund McMillan, who's made a couple of the, my favorite games of all time. Um, but like musicians, uh, anyone who makes anything really. Um, and I think I started it thinking it was going to be like higher brow, you know, like talking about the creative process and oh, and I thought it was if you're my, not that way, it does it? It ends up being what you are. Yeah, but in, yeah, in my brain, it was going to be like a bit of a resource for creators and stuff. Yeah. Whereas it's become more of uh, 
although we do talk about creativity and like why you make certain decisions and, and the process and all that, it's become a little more about uh, a problem shared. Like the amount of different people, like game developers have the same set of problems as musicians, as photographers, as graphic designers. Like the, a lot of people have the same problems with imposter syndrome or like, um, yeah, there's just a lot of really similar problems. And obviously, because the creative part of your brain is very similar, no matter what you're creating. So, yeah, it just became that. And just had some really nice chats, like sat down with Danny Wallace. And that was literally like a life changing experience in the basement of a club. 50 minute chat with Danny Wallace. And I had like months of like just good vibes. Just bowling around. It's so true. You know what, though? Like that, that's what this is all about, isn't it? It's mm. like learning from one another. And like every time I do like an episode of this, I go away and pretty much always feel really great afterwards, mm. even if it's been really dark, uh, just because I feel uh, privileged that someone would talk to me like on that level. Uh, and I learn so much about myself. Mm. It seems like, yeah, the same thing for you. And I do think there's similarity in creatives. Well, like, again, like most of my decisions have been made based around my mental health. Like I do some live streaming on Twitch here and there. And I was, I did that because I realized I wasn't really talking to people and, and maybe talking to people through a screen a couple of times a week was helpful. And it was for a while, for a good few months, but then, I became obsessive and I was doing it 50 hours a week and that was actually unhealthy and getting in the way. So I'm back down to a couple of times a week and it's good again. But like the podcast as well, it was like, well, the reason, although I can't during lockdown, but the reason I do them all face to face was about getting in the room with another human rather than being on my own in my house. And I am pretty isolated. My mate Jake lives around the corner, but he, we don't really see each other. We talk once a month, maybe. We rarely see each other. It'll be a phone call. And that's how our relationship is. And that's fine. But you need to fucking talk to people. You do. Like, just that kind of... Everyone says we're social animals. And, like, I, often I really don't want to be sociable, but I have to kick myself up the arse and force myself to be. And I generally feel better yeah. afterwards. Yeah, definitely. Like, but that's what the podcast's been for me, definitely. Like, just an excuse to talk to people and, and I don't know, steal some of their ideas. <laughs> So you just oh, do music notes? Yeah, I do. I do. I just don't do it in the same way anymore. In the sense that, like, I I make music every day, and I release. I probably release more music now than I used to. I've like released three EPs in the last seven months or something, which is actually good going. It's amazing. But because I'm not trying to, I would like to sell it and make a fucking bunch of cash. But I never enjoyed the selling music part of it all, like trying to convince people to part with their money. So I'm just doing it in a a bit less, not really pushing it to radio, not really trying to convince press to write about it. Just, hey, I made some new music, you should listen. 
And uh, it's pretty healthy. I'm really enjoying it, you know? I was actually, this last two weeks is the longest I've gone without really writing anything. And it was um, it was only yesterday night I'd started the evening thinking, yeah, I'm probably going to need to back off for a couple of months. You know, I'm not well. And then as soon as I said that, I was noodling away. I was like, oh, that's good. Oh, actually, oh, that's, an, that's, where, that's what the next DP is going to be. Awesome. So I'm like, you know, I think as soon as I took the pressure off my, myself, I was yeah. free to do it. Yeah, I have to do that, take the pressure off myself every so often. I have to kind of say that, that, no, it's all right. You know, I feel like if I'm not moving, you know, like you were saying about getting obsessed about things. Like I do that. If um, It's like if I, I'm obsessed with trying to be well quite often. And if I'm not moving forwards and I don't feel like I'm achieving anything, I'm mm. worried that I'll then become really mentally unwell. Mm. Uh, and so far, I've proven that that's not the case, but that's still kind of in the back of my head. We have we have a weird system. Like, again, I suppose it comes back a little bit to capitalism. Like, we, we're sort of raised being told that you should be moving forward. You should be earning more, and, and you've got to buy that house. You've got to buy that big house. You've got to get that promotion. You've got to get all that shit. And it's like... No, I get it. I, I, I totally understand this urge to be financially secure and all that. But you can live a really good life on minimum wage. You can actually have... But the thing that stops you living a good life on minimum wage is all the fucking external pressure. Obviously, if you've got kids and shit, you need to be earning a bit more. But, you know, I sit here just, just roughly, just under minimum wage most months. I did do minimum wage last month. And I was pretty impressed with myself. I was like, ah, yeah, I'm a big uh, guy. But like, yeah, okay. I have to, I can't buy all the cool shit that I'd like to buy, but I also don't have to go and fucking slog 40 hours a week. You know, I can, if I, if I'm surviving, I'm happy. Rather yeah. than. No, I completely agree. I think like that's part of my kind of mental health journey is realizing that, like I got to a point when I was like married, two kids, three bed semi, um, done. Three bed semi, eh? Yeah. It's been a long time since I've had one of those. I haven't seen it since February. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh, I'm done. I've done everything. Uh, I'm earning all right money, not loads, but enough for pays for everything. Yeah. And then I, and then I just had a bit of a crisis because I was like, oh, it's not fulfilling me. It's not nearly fulfilling me. And that's when I got back into doing artwork. I started doing the podcast. Yeah. And it's like, I need to be doing creative shit. That's what actually fulfills me. But, mm. um, but I don't need to make any money out of that. You know, like I could just do it because I like it. Uh, and I've made a bit of money here and there. But um, realising that, no, it's just, actually, that's just for me. Just like, I just need to do it. That's something I've done with the podcast. I don't look at the stats. I, 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 I don't look at how many people downloaded all that. I like, I do what I'm meant to do. So like, cause I'm on the same network as Pip, like hit Scrooby's Pip's distraction pieces network. Yeah. Like obviously Whiffin's on there and there's a bunch of people on there. So I, I try to uh, make sure I'm posting about the podcast about 10% what they do. Cause Whiffin does it every 45 seconds yeah, or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like I make sure I'm promoting it. 
but that's it. I don't stress too much about the numbers because like, again, it comes back to like the systems we live in. It's not, if you post on Facebook, listen to my podcast and people don't listen to your podcast. Like some of that is probably because your mates are cunts. You have to accept that. But some of that is also that Facebook doesn't want people to listen to your podcast because that involves you leaving Facebook. Yeah. They don't want people to leave Facebook. Like we've got all these systems around us that I'm, I'm not trying to sound all like, oh, they're out to get us, but we live in a very complex set of systems. And if you can see that the system's there, then you can at least allocate some blame <laughs> onto that. Like, you know, it's not always... Yeah, not take it personally, basically. So, yeah, yeah. you take the emotion out of it a bit, and that's really important. Mm. Like, if you post a video on YouTube and no one watches it, you also have to remember that YouTube want isn't a video platform. It looks like one. It smells like one. It's got billions of videos on it. Mm. Uh, but it's not a video platform. It's an advertising platform. It's somewhere for someone to sell products to other people. That's all that YouTube is. That's all any social media is. So if you're posting, I feel sad today on Twitter and no one responds to that, partially that's because everyone thinks you're an idiot. Like, Jesus, <laughs> yeah, oversharing. Yeah, I don't know. But part of it's also that, the, that Twitter are like, how do we sell an advert off your sadness? That's really hard to do. Yeah. Tell you what, though, I saw this guy talking about McDonald's burgers. We've got some McDonald's ads we could throw up next to that. Yeah. So it's sort of knowing that, not that you're bound to fail. That sounds negative, but that there is more to it than just you and how people respond to you. Yeah, I totally agree. I, I feel like I've been through a bit of that over the last year, trying to kind of mm. push the podcast, thinking, oh, sponsorship, I'm not going to give up work. And then realising <laughs> that, no, <you> know, <laughs> no. Yeah. Like, that, that, that requires, that's next level shit, and uh, I'm not nearly known enough for that to happen. Yeah, I've, I've been doing the podcast for more than a year now, and I don't, I've got a few Patreons, but my Patreon just sort of sits there anyway. So there's definitely a few people on that, but that's like 20, 30 bucks here and there, you know? Yeah, yeah. And then I think, I think total, I've made like 100 quid on adverts. Oh, yeah, I've made uh, 100, 120 pounds. You probably made more, yeah. more than that. No. <laughs> but yeah, you make nothing for adverts, do you? I was yeah. shocked. But like, that's, it's, that's also, yeah, like, it's not why I set it up, you know? No, exactly. Like, 120, like 120 quid to me was a massive bonus. Uh, once I realised how the game works, mm. I learned to relax in it and um, kind of get back to what it's all about, really. But mm -hmm. I, I do get excited and I want to shout about it at the same time because it certainly kind of gets me up and moving and that kind of thing. Mm. So, like, it serves lots of purposes for me, and they're all pretty positive, really. I think whatever you're doing, like anyone creating content, air quotes, like, if you're going into it because you're genuinely interested in what you're making, 
yeah. and you're having fun doing it, then if you made some money that by accident, that's fine, you yeah. know? But, like, it is fulfilling to just do shit. We're in, we've got this amazing fucking setup with the internet. Like, you can share your music. You can share everything. We couldn't do that 20 years ago. Just 20 years ago, we didn't, you know, it wasn't till MySpace that we really had, like, a space to share music. And MySpace ain't that long ago, you know? No, it's not. It's really not. Like, this last 20 years has been a huge boon for anyone creating anything, you know? Like, your, your girlfriend fucking nan knitting can be sold on Etsy now, whereas before she could only sell it in the WI, yeah. like, jumble, you know? Like, people have got access to make their own path through the world, which is awesome, but it's also realising that internet's pretty stressful <laughs> so learning how to engage with it in a positive way is important i had uh when my missus had cancer i pretty much just stopped following anyone but like guitars really and like just little things i was interested in on social media and i got a bit because everything was like oh well you're having a good time well my wife's dying you know yeah. it was like so i i Began to hate everyone and everything, and especially social media. But but it is, I suppose, it's just how you engage with it. Because now I'm like, actually, I've been able to reach out to people. I've made, I've talked to people I never would have done. You know, it, there's a lot of good there as well. But you just have to kind of take the emotion out of it a bit. I think, yeah, and I think it's realizing that it's a snapshot. It's not reality. Yeah, yeah like yeah. every meal started as shit and ends as shit you know <laughs> like you grow vegetables in horse shit you yeah. like or you know it gets cooked it gets eaten and then it ends up as shit like but we don't ever show the shit like could you imagine if you had to show the shit <laughs> like, uh, well, one time uh, i did a massive shit and i took a picture of it uh, and I, I posted it on facebook going my lunch and my wife was like take that down now. Like, I never got told off by my wife, but she was like, take that down. That is disgusting. <laughs> like, why? Everyone puts pictures of their food. That's all it is. I mean, it's, uh, that's the thing. Like, we, uh, we, not only are we not showing the truth of it, we also actively edit ourselves. You know, like, you don't show the crappy burnt toast and all that. So, yeah, I, I think, I do think that knowing people are getting better at learning that, yeah, this, this is some bullshit fakery. You know, even, even fucking Elon Musk posts fake bullshit. He uh, posted, a, I don't know what it was, like a Sunday or like a cocktail he was having. Uh, a couple of days ago, he posted this. And it was just a stock photo from like three years ago. But he was, he was, even he was, like, pretending to be living some... And that's Elon Musk, yeah. fucking billionaire. You wouldn't have to. I was like, shocked that he was with Grimes. It really surprised me. Um, I'd, I'd kind of not... I'm not the biggest attention payer of, like, 
No, I'm not. No, I'm, I'm not. I just uh, I remember like Pip did that song over one of Grimes' songs. And, oh, no, Nimbus. Yeah, yeah, that's it. And then that led yeah. me to think. I checked her out, and it was like, oh no, she's pretty like kind of solid, proper. Yeah, I went to. I saw her uh, in Brighton uh, at Digital, I think, and she was all right. She looked like she was having fun and stuff. Yeah, but like, I think. Um, there was always a bit of snobbery around Grimes in the music industry anyway, so it was, it was hard not to be tainted by dudes. Dudes, jealous dudes. There were a lot of jealous dudes who tried to paint Grimes as, well, she's only popular because she's banging that lad from Pitchfork. And like... Um, oh, yeah. Men don't like that, do they? And, and it's that thing of like, well, no, there's... People were buying her music on, on her music. And I, okay, maybe someone wrote a few extra lines about her in Pitchfork. Well, that doesn't, Pitchfork's not that powerful. No. Not like they put her, it's not like she was banging Alan Yentob and he gave her a primetime BBC One show. That might actually make a difference. I don't want to think about her banging Alan Yentob, though. I don't know what Alan Yentob looks like. You don't want to? No, I don't think I do. Like, if you were watching porn, it would be like grandpa with teen, sort of. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. no. <laughs> well, we've come up, we've done over an hour then. Good. We've come Good. up, and I was just thinking, um, if, to kind of wrap up, what would be, if I asked you to give me a bit of mental health advice... Uh, to help along the way of life. Um, Not too much pressure. (laughs) (laughs) No fucking pressure, eh? No pressure. There is... That's the thing. There's no... There is no easy answer. Yeah. Any of it. Yeah. And... It's... To be well mentally... It's no different to being well physically. It's a daily thing. It's a task that you you have to commit to doing. And as soon as you understand that, I know this is not the most inspirational fucking quote you hear. But as soon as you understand that, when you wake up and you feel fucking awful, you know that you're not going to feel awful all day. You know... Like knowing that this takes time and that it's a process means that you're always moving. You're never always down. You're always going to come back up. You know, I think that's the important thing for me is, is learning that when I'm sad, I know I'm not always going to be sad. You know? um, there's a bit in 24 hour party people. Um, you know, uh, it was the. Not first Doctor Who, but when they brought Doctor Who back, Christopher Eccleston, is it? Yeah. Right, he's, yeah. Playing, he's playing a homeless guy under a bridge. And uh, Tony Wilson, uh, played by Steve Coogan, is walking past. Really? And he starts quoting uh, Boethius, a fucking oldie, oldie, oldie um, philosopher. And yeah. Boethius says that life's like a wheel, that it's constantly turning. And wherever you're holding on on the wheel you're always in movement but you're either descending or ascending 
the whole time. You're always on the descendant or ascendant. But that means that when you're at the very lowest, that you're going to be swinging back up very soon. Yeah. But when you're at the top, you also have to accept that you're swinging back down. Obviously, he says it better than that, like vicissitudes and all that. But It's... Um... Like I often, what you said there, um, I think is one of the big things that I kind of carry with me. Like you have to be active in being well. Mm. Like you can't just sit on your hands. You can't look to other people to make you better. Uh, you know, if you go to therapy, if you don't work in the therapy, you don't get any better. You have to be working on getting better all the time. Like being physically well. Um, and I say that to people all the time. And the problem is you have to be so fucking down before you go, ah, oh, right, I've got to make the effort now. Mm. Um, what you say is completely right. And that's exactly how mm. I live my life now. Exactly the same way. I'm like, I'm always working on it. Right, I'm not feeling very good about myself. What can I do that will make me feel good about myself for a bit? Mm. Okay? All of those things. And then, and then you said that the cycle thing. There's the, uh, in addiction, they use the cycle of change. Mm. And it's very similar to that. And um, and I often see my mental health in terms of addiction as in, you're all, you know, you're always, depression is always there, but I have to be working on keeping it away. Yeah, I'm, I'm just getting that Boethius quote, because uh, I like it. Where is it? It totally works. Are you looking for it? Yeah. I could get the video up, but that would be... Uh... <clears throat> so what does he say? It's my belief that history is a wheel. Inconsistency is my very essence, says the wheel. Rise up on my spokes if you like, but don't complain when you, when you are cast back down into the depths. Good times passed away, but then so do the bad. Mutability is our tragedy, but it's also our hope. The worst of times, like the best, are always passing away. And uh, yeah, it's life, isn't it? Uh, I love it. That life, perfect. It. It's better when Christopher Eccleston. So. I like the way you said it without spluttering. If that was me, I'd have been like, uh, 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 uh. I, I did. I stumbled a little, but yeah, I'm never been very not. good with the old reading. So <laughs> it's I'm, proud of that. I'm gonna leave it. Leave it on that lovely bit of advice, then, Dan. Because that was perfect. Yeah, I don't know what all the words mean. What mutability? What does that fucking mean? I don't really know what that means, but I, oh, I fucking... understand the sentiment. <laughs> <laughs> fucking having a Google philosophy. Bloody hell. <laughs> Thank oh. you ever so much, Dan. I really appreciate it. It's been really fun talking to you, man. Thank you. No worries, dude. No worries. Cheers, Dan. Have a good one. Bye. Bye.
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.